0: Well, JB, I, I think my picks have spoken for themselves uh, this year. Uh, let's take a uh, look at an example here. Uh, Montclair State been nailing those games left and right. Liberty League, okay. Montclair at Hobart. Here we go again. Hobart with an NJAC team. and Yes, Montclair wins 27-21. Does it bother you at all, though, that Salisbury's only played a couple games this season? Montclair State wins at 28-20 at home. One thing I was noticing, Montclair got screwed in this whole uh, schedule realignment. I think we're going to see another... We'll call a 14-13 game in favor of Montclair. I'm going to pick the upset here. I can't pick down the right side of Montclair to save my life this season. I just want everybody to uh, know that. Let's go Rowan. Rowan wins it. Sorry, Coach. Plaza. Uh, Rowan wins this 7-3. By nailing those games, I mean uh, nailing myself uh, to the wall because I'm not exactly uh, doing too well uh, right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for uh, digging up those clips for me because uh, y- you helped me find all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, I'm down by three games, I think, uh, coming into this Friday. If I had gotten Montclair right, I'd probably be ahead of you right now. So you can thank Coach Palazzo, who actually sent me a note on Friday that said, please don't nice, pick coach us ever again. Okay? So... <laughs> There you go. But, J.B., uh, you, you have the lead. Friday's show is going to prove a lot here. But Montclair can't get on the right side of that team to save my life right now. Do you think it's a jinx thing for me?
1: You know, sometimes you get you got a 50-50 chance of getting these picks right, Frank. Sometimes it's just you flip the coin the wrong way. What are you going to do?
0: Sometimes or all the time? Anyway, we got a lot more where oh. that came from here. Yeah, I know. This is Week 9. I'll be in the huddle. So uh, a lot of you know that we're going to have our regional rankings discussion with Greg Thomas at the end of this show. If you haven't seen it already, stay tuned. But we're also going to tighten up our crunch time segment uh, this time around. Uh, We're going to put our uh, schedule and standings page and all that stuff into uh, the crunch time itself to compress the show a little bit and make sure that you stay awake for everything until Greg Thomas makes it exciting at the end of the show. Yeah, sorry to wake you up there, JB. JB, while you're awake, though, Why why don't you tell folks about what you saw in week number nine?
1: Week number nine, we saw three bids uh, to the field, the 32 get punched, and we saw a couple of conferences get that separation in games that kind of surprised us a little bit. Um, So it'll be fun to rattle off. There's some implications going into week 10. And lo and behold, I think we might come back for the third annual D3 Blitzer.
0: Whip around. So if you put your arm up like this, basically you'll see what we'll be doing, like a quad screen, basically. Uh, So, you know, high, low, left, right, basically. Uh Uh, Yeah. Hi, hi, Nick Banner. Uh, Anyway. Hey, Nick Banner. (laughs) You have a game up in Maine. It's cold. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be an important one, actually, for Springfield to win that uh, because uh, we'll talk about their implications later on here. We have a lot of games to talk about. We have some schedules and some standings to look at, so let's go to crunch time for Week 9. Let us uh, start in the CCC. It is Western New England beating Endicott 42-31. to Alec Coleman throws this one to Adam Raza with about six minutes left in the second quarter a 63 yard touchdown pass that's one of his what uh, was it four total touchdowns in the game uh, by Alec Coleman yep 42 yep, 31 final they had led Endicott 28 to 3 a little bit of an upset of sorts for folks because Endicott was just rolling so well there in the season but Western New England remains undefeated against Division 3 teams with that 42 31 victory also We're going to look at a game that only had scoring in the first half, but we're going to look at a fourth quarter play with about two minutes left as Becker had a chance here against Curry. But Hunter Atwood forces a fumble by David Collins, and Joshua Gabiton was in the position to recover that fumble to preserve the 14-6 victory by Curry. Also, we have a clip from the Salve Regina University New England game where Tyler McGovern gets one of his four passing touchdowns, this one from 53 yards out, Mike Nestor
2: for McGovern fakes the handoff pass wide open
0: this is Ryan Lund, I think no it's Mike Nestor touchdown Salve that made a 40 to 17 with about nine minutes left in the third quarter Salve rolls 53 to 17 Joey Morriello, sort of uh, a soft day there with only 193 yards and two touchdowns didn't break 200 for once what's going on there Joey and then also husson 31 nichols 7 as david morrison had three touchdown passes in the second half alone what are you thinking about that ccc
1: well you, you kind of have to tip the cap to uh, the husson golden eagles uh tyler halls with uh 219 receiving yards three touchdowns and effectively um you know takes nichols out of the conversation as playing a potential spoiler tiebreaker given the, the endicott western new england result so Golden Bears are one game away from clinching another CCC title and a chance to get back into the
0: playoffs. If Western New England wins, uh, they are in. If Endicott loses, uh, there's still technically the possibility for a multifaceted two loss tie that we'd have to look at the multi tiebreaker to even figure out. So we're not going to get into that right now. But that is the big game. Western New England at Becker at noon. Becker looking for their first conference win. Western New England perfect in the conference so far. Let's go to the ECFC. And one of my favorite names, Hezekiah Williamson, has a touchdown here, a three-yard run, uh, 745 uh, left in the third, gives them their first two-possession lead of the game, of SUNY Maritime. And they clinch a playoff spot, 24-13 over Gallaudet, as Williamson and Chiavone had combined for 43 rushes at 257 yards and two touchdowns so SUNY maritime winning it on the ground and uh, honestly uh we don't know if they'll be a four and six five and five or six and four team in the playoffs but they are in the playoffs with that win castleton 33 anna maria 19 let's look at dylan ellis's catch from jacob mccarthy this 23 yarder with 13 10 left in the fourth quarter made it 26 to 19 and jacob mccarthy had three touchdowns on the day castleton wins 33 19 and dean 50, Alfred State 46. But there was defense in this game because they needed to step up, Dean, to protect that area at the very end. Yeah, at the very end, yeah. as the teams could buy for a <laughs> thousand yards of offense. Plus. It, but both teams' quarterbacks scored seven touchdowns. JB, SUNY Maritime, ECFC champs.
1: I mean, not technically the champs. That's that's the Dean Bulldogs. Oh, good um, point. And they good will be. Point. They will be going to. They will be one of the four uh, conference reps into the New England Bowl, assuming that there's two of those, like there have been in the last couple of years. So, congratulations to Dean. Um, but SUNY Maritime, based on the um, yeah, NCAA eligibility requirements, they effectively as the lone second place team get the bid. And Frank, to your point, they're probably looking at a trip to Alliance, Ohio and back. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, but they, they're in the they're in the field kind of like we expected them to be in the preseason, but not with as good a mark as we thought. Um, I think I predicted that they would win um, six or maybe seven games uh, this year, and they're going to really have to battle hard these last two weeks to get above five hundred.
0: Schedule shows you SUNY Maritime at Alfred State is the big game to watch this weekend. Mascac time, and Friday night there was a game between Fitchburg State and Worcester State, and here's a punt block for uh, Fitchburg State's uh, special teams unit uh, that led to a touchdown on that play with about 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Steve Lawton had 35 rushes for 141 yards and two touchdowns in just 22 minutes of possession time for Worcester State. Made it 30 to 14. Fitchburg State. Also, let's look at a couple of plays here. First, Framingham State against Mass Maritime. Framingham State had a an eight-yard uh, TD pass from uh, Jacob uh, from Adam Wojcinski to Jacob Marr, Excuse me. And then in the second quarter, there was this huge uh, uh, Jael Johnson. I want to say that right. 87-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. That made it 16-6 in favor of Framingham State. That was the end of the scoring for that game. 16-6 yeah. final as uh, they outgained Mass Maritime, 464-126 to in that game with 11 tackles for loss. Also, no Stephen Gaychuk in this game, it looks like for Mass Dartmouth as uh, they beat Western Connecticut 28-12. You're looking at Abby Bangros from Ryan Qualey. The 20-yard touchdown pass made it 14-6 with four minutes left in the first half. Uh, ultimately, it was uh, the defense of Mass Dartmouth. Six sacks, seven tackles for loss, eight pass breakups. And it uh, sounds like I'm counting there. And running back Luis Gonzalez with 29 rushes for 140 yards and two touchdowns, both in the fourth quarter. Important rushes there, 28-12 final. Finally in the MASCAC, Bridgewater State 28, Plymouth State 10. Seems like Plymouth State's offense just can't get it cranking right now as uh, they were outgained 403 to 165. D'Amelia had 266 total yards as quarterback and a touchdown both in the air and on the ground. So you look at the MASCAC standings, and uh, really uh, Framingham State uh, can put things away with this big championship-like game. Uh, Obviously, if Bridgewater State wins it, Uh, We're not quite done yet, but if Framingham State wins it, it's over. JB, thoughts on that?
1: Well, the one thing that stands out to me, Frank, when you look at these scores is look how low they are. Um, You know, the highest scoring team this weekend was Fitchburg with 30. Uh, So looking like defense is really starting to play a big role in in the Mascac race. And I think it ultimately will come down to the Framingham uh, Rams defense going up against that high-powered uh, Bears offense that's led by uh, Stephen DeMiguelia from from Bridgewater State should be a great game. Um, we kind of had that one circled on the calendar as a possible conference title game. We after the rough start of both of those teams, we weren't sure. Kind of right back to where we thought we'd be, uh, and it comes down to pretty much the whole thing in Week 10.
0: Let's go to the New Mac. We have plenty of clips from this game: WPI at MIT. Let's start in the second quarter with about 10 minutes left. Clark Ewan from Julian Nyland, 77 yard touchdown, made it nine to nothing. But what uh, what else happened in that whole scoring affair was the following. This extra point block by Sean Kent, he goes 98 yards to make it nine to two. Now, normally we wouldn't talk about this, but it's a pretty important play in the grand scheme of things. And here's, uh, we'll keep going down as to why that's the case. Uh, Mark Wright, kicks a 43 yard field goal with four minutes left in the fourth quarter made it 19-16 mit but connor field gets a one yard touchdown to make it 22 19 uh wpi at that point so of course you're going to see mark wright kick and yet another 40 plus yard field goal with nothing left on the clock yeah why not 41 yarder is good so we go to overtime and ultimately it's mit with a chance to win it at the end of the second overtime Here's the call.
2: As Mock in the shotgun, takes the handoff, throws down the sideline, man open. And a touchdown. MIT wins.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, baby.
2: And it was Shepard catching the ball in the corner of the end zone. And they storm the field, MIT.
0: They're excited in Cambridge as Chris walked to Kathan Shepard with 23 yards out ends that game, 28-22. MIT makes a mess of the new Mac. Why not? It happens every year. Five lead changes in the game. Uh, Mark Wright, kudos to him. The uh, block also, uh, you know, there's another extra point block that uh, we uh, were showing earlier, I should uh, point out, uh, after the counter field touchdown. And so, I mean, there was special teams galore that made this game what it was again 28 22 mit let's go to catholic at nor or hosting norwich so right now you're going to see uh brady Berger in his quarterback in a fourth and ten play at the end of the game with catholic down 27 24 and he needs 10 yards on fourth down he doesn't get it oh but he is hit hard and there's a flag he is knocked out of this game though After the penalty is assessed, it's first down, still Catholic. So why not put a freshman in there, Evan O'Donnell? I mean, that's not going to result in points, you know, fresh off the bench like that. Well, he finds Trey Carson for six yards out from six seconds left. And here's the uh, actual call of that play. O'Donnell looks left, throws. Trey Carson, touchdown! Catholic has the lead! Evan O'Donnell to Trey Carson. Evan O'Donnell, kudos to you, buddy. 31 27 in favor of Catholic, their first win of the season. And they trailed 17 0 in the second quarter. But, JB, as we look at the standings of the new Mac, 4 1, 4 1, 4 1. MIT, WPI, Springfield. Springfield needs WPI to lose again. And otherwise, uh, WPI and MIT, right now, if Springfield loses a the game themselves, Then we're going to see uh, some uh, real interesting stuff going on there. Uh, This week, no direct implications unless somebody drops one they should win. Coast Guard at WPI may be the highlight game of the weekend, though, when you look at it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think so. That Coast Guard defense is going to be rested, I think, after a bye week, and um, they've had some tough luck this year. would do them well uh, to to take uh, take it out on (laughs) on the four engineers, so we'll see what happens.
0: Uh, normally we end with the NESCAC, but let's put them in right now. We'll stay in New England for now uh, with this. And uh, let's start with Middlebury, champs of the NESCAC, after beating Hamilton 14-7. to Let's look at all three scores in this game because they were all in the first quarter. Uh, Alex, um, I believe it is, uh, Malgin with a two-yard run for the first touchdown from Middlebury. That was answered by David Kagan, 15-yard run with three minutes left in the first quarter. Evens things up at 7-7. to but there's Malgin again with a touchdown with 117 left from 16 yards out this time to make it a 14-7 Middlebury Final and NESCAC Championship. Again, no scoring in the last three quarters of this game. Great job by the defenses of this game. Bates breaks, I believe, a 17-game losing streak to win against Bowdoin, 30-5 to as it is Brendan Costa. To Jackson Hayes with the opening touchdown of the game. Here's the call. And drops back. Throwing down the near sideline. Has a man.
2: Jackson Hayes has it. And Jackson Hayes is into the end zone for six.
0: They were getting excited at Bates. With that 54-yard touchdown, 30-5 final. Costa had 275 total yards and three passing touchdowns. And Wesleyan. In overtime wins against Williams 27 21 uh, let's see the final touchdown by David Estevez it's a 25 yard running touchdown for the win 27 21 Wesleyan moves to 7 to 1 but obviously too little too late for them because of the Middlebury loss earlier in season Trinity 21 Amherst 7 uh, Trinity moves to 5 and 3 as they force three turnovers in that game and Tufts beats Colby 35 to 10 as Tufts uh, outgain Colby 464 to 237. The NESCAC is decided, but the little uh, biggest little game in America is next on uh, the Williams Amherst slate of games here. And this is the last weekend of NESCAC play, JB. As uh, things kind of shifted a little bit here, uh, it looks like on their schedule to weeks two through ten. So, with this, what are you looking for in the final week of NESCAC? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, you, if you're Middlebury, you want to see your team finish strong. Tufts is not a guaranteed win. Um, they are four and four. Uh, they, they took it to Colby this past weekend. Uh, they beat Trinity back in the in the first week of NESCAC play, so they, they have to be taken seriously. The uh, the biggest little game maybe has a little bit of a lack of luster with uh, teams coming in with a six and two and four and four marks. Actually, Frank, the Trinity win at Amherst is the first time that that's happened in like 20 or something years. It's been a while since uh, since the Bantams have won up there, apparently, uh, but um, interesting year in the in the NESCAC. Uh, credit to Middlebury for running the table. There is some question mark, though, is whether or not Will Jernigan is uh, is healthy. I've seen some rumors out there that he may or may not be 100%, uh, but like, at the end of the day, even if they finish eight and one, They have the head-to-head win over a Wesleyan team, Uh, so they're they're still your champs no matter how you slice
0: it. Empire Eight time, Uh, we've talked about the Brockport at Cortland game, 32 to 26 Uh, in depth. uh, Brockport's uh, come from behind win in overtime. Uh, You'll want to go back to our earlier episode uh, for those details. Uh, Remember Brockport trailed 23 to nothing at one point, 23 to seven at the half, and. Jalé Côde with 39 rushes, 210 yards, and two touchdowns, both in the fourth quarter. Let's look at some, uh, a clip here. Maki Medici's fourth field goal in a row, and this one was the biggest by far because it made it a game that was out of reach. It was from 48 yards out. Here's the call.
1: There's a snap. The kick,
2: it's up. It is good. Oh, my gosh. It just, got just over the cleared class the goal yep. and it makes the score 19 to 10. Utica just about put the game out of reach. Those were
0: the Alfred announcers calling in. They were in awe as much as anybody there. 19 to 10, Utica beats yeah. Alfred. A little bit of a surprise for a lot of folks. He was tied 10 to 10 at halftime, but again, field goal, field goal, field goal in the second half was enough for Utica. And we'll see if Alfred can bounce back against who? Brockport. Talk more about that in a second. Morrisville State fifty-six, Hartwick twenty-eight, as the teams combined for almost a thousand total yards. Seven interceptions in the game, though. And Bill Flatow from Morrisville State, two hundred six yards and four passing touchdowns. They will play Brockport in Week Eleven. Don't forget coming up. But JB Brockport wins this game against Alfred that you see in the screen. Then it is over. If they don't, then they still have to win against Morrisville State.
1: Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, Frank, both Alfred, um, Utica, and Morrisville State are all um, kind of scraping away here trying to, to hang on to some form of postseason uh, bowl berths. I know both Utica and Morrisville have declared for the ECACs. Alfred uh, may or may not uh, sneak into the New York State Bowl, which supposedly may or may not still be happening. Um, so still a lot at stake for all these teams, but obviously Brockport. Uh, If they can beat the Saxons Saturday, they are, uh, once again, I think the third year in a row, um, the Empire A-Champs.
0: Union at Ithaca in the Liberty League is where we'll start, but again, we'll point you back to the previous episode this week to look at the detailed uh, video, etc., on that game and interviews. I.K. Erebor with 181 yards rushing, three touchdowns, and the Union defense with two interceptions and a forced fumble. They held Ithaca to four for 12 on third down, one for four on fourth down on the day. So we'll go back and look at that one. 31-21, Union wins and goes to 8-0. Hobart, check that. We'll go to RPI next. RPI wins 28-26. Here's a touchdown late in the game with seven minutes left.
1: is looking over the middle. That is complete. This will be a first down for RPI. Lombardi to the 15, Takes it back. And 10 to the 5. Lombardi is in for the touchdown.
0: Peter Lombardi from George Marinopoulos from 28 yards out was that play. It finished at 28 26 after it was a safety uh, gained by Buffalo State late. I'm assuming uh, based on they were deep in their own territory RPI and decided to kick off instead. Uh, I didn't see exactly what happened there. But Hobart wins also. And here's a uh, big play by John. On first down,
1: sweep left to Boss in trouble. He spins back. Now he's not in trouble. Comes near side.
0: 20, 25, 30. There he goes. Boss off to the races. Chase is on. 40, 30. They're not going to get him. 20, 15, 10, 5. Boswell, touchdown. 80 yards. 80 yards. Ted Baker, thanks for that call. And Kurt Studd, thanks for the call in the RPI game, by the way. 35-3 35-3 to three as Brian Hefner with 12 rushes, 146 yards, two touchdowns, four sacks for the Hobart defense, one fumble recovery as well. But it's, it's too little too late for Hobart except for that postseason uh, bowl bid type of situation. But for Union, 5-0, 8-0 overall. They are trying to get a home game in the playoffs now. They must win their next two games for it.
1: Yeah, and they're like I said before, they're playing against a team in Utica that desperately needs a win to keep their postseason bull hopes alive, and then they got to go against a longtime rival RPI, who's in a similar boat at five and three. They've got a tough game against Ithaca this weekend. They could be looking at five and five and not making the postseason for the first time in a while. So even though you know Union's got things wrapped up, they're they're playing some hungry teams that are that still have a lot to play for. So the Dutchmen have to be ready.
0: Let's go to the MAC and go to some clips here. Anthony Fontana finds Juan Menigo for a 69-yard touchdown to make it 23 to nothing late in the third quarter. As uh, honestly Alvernia was uh, pacing Del Valle early in this game and then there's a 73-yard punt return for a touchdown by Tamir Barksdale. First muffs the punt and then is able to recollect it and run it to the house. 29 to zero. 29 to zero in favor of Del Delval early in the fourth quarter, and it is again 44 to nothing final in favor of Delval. They are they only have one game left. They have a bye next week. They outgained Alvernia at 413 to 98. Fontana with I think a career high 304 passing yards and three touchdowns in this game. Also we have Wilkes uh, beating FTU floor 45 to uh, 20. Heath Povler, we uh, were assuming he was in for Jose Tabor after that ejection the previous week. He uh, throws one here on third and 21 in the first quarter and finds Fafana for a 39yard touchdown pass to make it 11 to 7 in favor of Wilkes. Again, 45 to 20 was the final. They held FTU form to two rushing yards and had two interceptions and a safety on the defensive side for Wilkes. Then we have Lycoming, 51, Misericordia, 14. I mean, how do you beat Misericordia? Score a lot of points early on them because uh, that's what Lycoming did uh, to win that game. Here's Elijah Shemri yep. to Steven Tocheluski for a 61-yard touchdown, eventually 51-14. to And Lycoming is Misericordia, 543-233. In other games, Kings, 36, Albright, 16 as Albright can't get a win again. They have one of the largest losing streaks in America next to Teal right now. Yeah, And Tyler Moore with 280 passing yards and three touchdowns in that game for Kings. And Stevenson, 42, Lebanon Valley, 13. They're in the conversation still for being ranked, although they aren't this week. Uh, they outgained Lebanon Valley, 534 to 226. Ryan Sedgwick with a 22 for 28 day, 281, three touchdowns, two interceptions. But look, it's Del Valle. They win the MAC with that win against Alvernia. And it is going to be an interesting scenario with Wilkes getting ranked this week to see what ends up happening to them and Stevenson playing them on Saturday. Wilkes Stevenson, a huge game with implications.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, both of those teams are alive for some kind of postseason uh, activity, whether it's going to be the, the Mac CC or maybe an ECF E C A C bowl game. Um, <laughs> so lots still on the line there. And um, you know, con- congratulations to Coach Strock and the and the Colonels, ranked in the in the top ten in the East region uh, by the NCAA after you know literally coming off a 0 10 season just a couple years ago. Heck of a job there uh, down in barre
0: Go to the end, Jack. Last but not least, of course, Rowan against Montclair. We got four clips to look at here. First, Hosney's interception. Brendan Ray gets that play and uh, gives Montclair a chance here when they were tied by tied at 17 in the fourth quarter. Crail uh, Birch uh, finds Johnson in uh, for a really great 38-yard catch here. 24-17, 5:31 left in the game. But then Rowan gets down to the two-yard line on this play and they have goal to go from the two to tie the game up, but they can't get there. They lose four yards, in fact, on the first three downs, fourth and six. Hosni is sacked for a, a, basically a loss of about five or so yards with 34 seconds left, and that's the end of the game. It was a final of 24-17 Montclair. Also in the Jack Salisbury stays perfect with a perfect game on the scoreboard, 51-0 over Christopher Newport. They outgained CNU 598 to 155. Wesley 31, TCNJ 13. The longest drive for Wesley's offense was just seven plays. They scored either early or not at all, pretty much uh, on those uh, drives. Much. Kane 37, William Patterson 0 as Kane outgained Patterson 294 to 133. And that is crunch time for week nine of 2019. JB, I will let you drive your stat chat in a second, but we have to say here is JB stat. Start. Chat. We <laughs> yeah, we can do
1: a little thing. what we have to say, and I don't know if did we did we even do we go over the NJAC games? Because technically Salisbury hasn't clinched just yet. They are close. They have they I think they can do it after um after Saturday's game, uh given the head to head win over Wesley. But uh, Salisbury is definitely one of the teams in the stat chat as they, you know, score 51 points. Uh, Morrisville State um, scored 56. And and I actually, since I've, I've been reprimanded in the past by the Salve faithful, I realize you guys see three. So I'll throw that out there. I should have included it. So it's my bad. We mentioned it earlier, uh, that crazy uh, Dean Alford State game. Uh, Terrell Watts, seven passing TDs. Uh, Deshaun Wilson, seven TDs, four, <laughs> four passes, three rushing in that in that crazy game. Union's Ike I- I- Erebor, though, he might have been the player of the weekend for me, Frank, with the 181 rush yards and three touchdowns, really put Union over the top against a strong Ithaca defense and really made a big difference in uh, yeah, them being able to win their first-ever game at Butterfield Stadium, no uh, small feat there. And then finally, uh, Lyko's uh shemri as you mentioned before six six touchdowns that he had big big day uh for the warriors as far as defense i mean salisbury with the shutout keen had a shutout uh Kane, new Kane. Air- Kane. okay Kane. Uh western new england's eric Koutman, I guess you might say. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but he had 23 tackles. strength. that's that's got to be a season high for any team. I haven't seen anybody. He's with
0: he's, he's the 20. man. For forget the first four letters of his name. He's the man when you uh, you have a situation yeah. like that. No
1: kidding, and then uh, in the, uh, the Brockport-Cortland game, uh, Andrew Covice, who was one I think, the uh, people that you interviewed um, before they got on the bus to drive home for the victory parade, uh, you had a key <laughs> interception late in that one to set up the, uh, the win for Jason Hellwig and company. And then you know, we had uh, FDU forums, uh, Miles Smith with an 85 yard pick six. DelVal uh, shut out Vernia uh, to clinch the max pool a bid. And then uh, Hobart defense still playing solid, um, held Saint Lawrence uh, to three points, forced four turnovers, and then uh, Wesley, Mike Brewer's uh, 23-yard scoop and score helped them in uh, in that game. But special teams this weekend, Frank, was a really big deal. We had you know Brockport's quarterbacks doubling as the punters. We saw their uh, return man uh, Raheem Gayden average almost 27 yards, and he had a a pretty critical um, in their in their comeback bid. Uh, Mackie Medici the kicker from uh, Utica with four field goals with the long of 48. Uh, Mass Maritime Jills Johnson with an 87 yard kickoff return. Tamir Barksdale 75 yard punt return for a touchdown. Tyler Johnson from Tufts 100 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. MIT even had a 98 yard uh, two point extra conversion, you know, after they blocked the uh, the PAT and they needed those points ultimately to uh, to push it into overtime and win it. And then, as we mentioned before, Mark Wright with the uh, 41 yard field goal to force OT for the engineers. Crazy weekend. uh, A lot of special teams plays. And that's kind of what you expect when you get down to the, uh, the crunch time here in week nine.
0: JB, at this point, I think we should send it to our uh, segment where we uh, went live earlier with the regional rankings, uh, since uh, those are so important. But before we do it, you had a couple questions from Twitter land that we uh, needed to uh, answer. So go ahead.
1: All right. So for questions from Twitter, uh, we had one from our friend Juan Sanchez, who's a big Roman fan, and the front runners for the Galardi Trophy.
0: Good question. Uh, and uh, I was asking, actually, uh, our friend Pat Coleman at D3Football.com if we've been asked to uh, help seek this out. Yeah, the answer is no. It's pretty early still. Um, I, it's not Joe Germanario, I, I don't think. Uh, that would have been uh, one of the people that w- was one to watch uh, coming into the season. But obviously the question's swirling around what the Ithacan reported can't help his cause in that situation. So uh, I, I can't name anybody easily. Uh, in the uh, East. I mean, Joey Moriello, if he has uh, some good numbers off the field, the way he's uh, been running up and down the field this season, could be uh, from Salvador Regina, somebody that could be in the discussion or, you know, if they nominate him. Um, I would say, look, if Will Bellamy's uh, got grades at all and the service at all to do it, why not Will Bellamy or I.K. Erebor? Yeah. Uh, they've, they've just been super uh, in terms of you know, playing their uh, butts off uh, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, it, it, the problem to name these candidates, especially in the East region, is that we don't know what their grades and their off-the-field uh, highlights are. So that makes it a little tougher for us. And uh, we can name standouts in different schools, uh, but I also want to see you know standouts that help their teams to great records. That's why Bellamy kind of jumps to mind as a possibility if he's got some grades and uh, service especially, so Union may want to consider uh, nominating him. We'll see what happens there. Uh, there are, There's right. such a broad selection of great student athletes in the East. It's just not necessarily a jumping to the mind every one of them, but I'm sure schools will start to offer them up as possibilities over the next week.
1: Yeah, so parents, fans, talk to your, uh, talk to your administrators and get them to submit. Uh, here's one from uh, Dr. Jason Rudolph. Who has a better chance at a Pool C, a 9-1 Ithaca or a 9-1 Cortland, or is it definite for either one?
0: Watch the next part of the show. That's uh, my answer, right. actually. From Mr. Community,
1: what are a few teams trending upwards and downwards, which I think you can kind of see from our, our standings, I guess. And then uh, finally-
0: Union Union upward, Ithaca downward right now, uh, and Cortland downward, and Brockport uh, upward. And the winner of Framingham State Bridgewater State will be upward, and the loser downward. How's that for a quick spiel? And West New England upward, and and Endicott downward.
1: Yep. Yes. Uh, This one I think we might have to save, Frank. This is from our friend Keith McMillan, who has asked us, can you order, in layman's terms, the East Region Rankings "Quote as you see them playing out after Week 11's games." So basically, this is a this is uh, asking us to predict what the final uh, post Week 11 East Region rankings are going to look at. I think we we're going to play football here. We're going to punt on that one, but we're going to come back to it um, maybe after this weekend. See what happens.
0: Well, I think we talk a little bit about it in the next segment. Uh, I, I'm going to give it to you. If everybody wins and Ithaca beats Cortland in the, uh, Cortica, I'm pretty sure it'll look like Salisbury 1, Union 2, Ithaca 3, Wesley 4, uh, Del Val 5, uh, Western New England 6, assuming they continue to win. Uh, Brockport 7. Maybe uh, they get pulled up a little bit higher than 7 if they keep winning, though, too. Um and then, you know, they, who knows what's underneath there, but it's not going to matter at that point uh, so much because uh, it's Ithaca, Wesley, and we stop there in terms of pool C bid possibilities. If Cortland beats Ithaca and goes 9-1, and one, then it'll be Wesley, I think, before Cortland on the board for the East pool C bids. Th- that's how I would see it, though. Uh, Salisbury, Union, Ithaca, Wesley, DelVal, Western New England, Brockport. That's how I would probably order them.
1: Yeah, and then, like I think we said in the uh, in the segment with Greg, there will be some horse trading. They're shipping in and out. Uh, we could see Nullenberg come in. We could see maybe uh, one of the full teams shipped out. We'll see.
0: Let's go to the regional rankings portion of our program. Okay, uh, surprise! Uh, <laughs> we're a little bit early here. Uh. We didn't, Just uh, necessarily, didn't necessarily expect these uh, regional rankings to drop earlier than 3 o'clock. And lo and behold, my partner in crime, James Baker, uh, hit me up and said at 11.59 a.m. Or, th- or so, hey. hey, regional rankings are released. And I'm like, uh, expletive deleted. Guess what? <laughs> so, uh, folks... Um, for those watching this live, understand, or I uh, am recording as a standalone show. This will be at later integrated into host chat, which will be uh, released later today. We decided to kind of integrate it instead of giving you in the huddle of fatigue, which is a very big disease across the country, from what we understand, especially in the East region. Yeah, exactly. Uh, JB, uh, the subtitle below uh, kind of uh, gives a little bit of a hint here of what's going on. Uh, two losses. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody at least. Got time Come no no. Worse, than, no worse than bronchitis i heard so yeah we're to bring in, let's bring in a friend of ours here uh chief bracketologist from d3football.com greg thomas wally wabash himself folks well or at least in name uh i would love to see you in the outfit sometime greg you know the wally wabash outfit
2: the outfit oh i don't i i have to get back to crawfordsville maybe they would uh let me in. Let me in the outfit. I don't know. It's probably. I don't know. I don't know. I think the uh, outfit is probably less comfortable than it looks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At least uh, it's That's not feathers. the Dutchman. Did you ever see the Dutch? Uh, Dutch. Uh, my my graduating class. Not to bore everybody, but my graduating class gave the mascot to the school and. We look back at that, and that was just a horrible idea because it's a really bad blonde Dutchman. I, I, I can't even explain it to you, but Dutch, uh, no, I, I would never wear that. I'll put it that way to you. So let's talk rankings instead of uh, mascots. Uh, yeah, Greg, yeah. yeah, Greg, you and I have uh, been talking, so has JB uh, and I, this week about what we thought these would look like. Uh, we're going to walk through it step by step without giving away anything here, as we're gonna go step by step, what's your overarching view of what these look like?
2: Um, they look, very. to me, they look very, uh, they look like rankings that are missing data, to be honest. Uh, and, and I think we know from previous conversations that uh, the first rankings don't completely factor in, ranked results uh results against other ranked opponents and so what we have are rankings that look like they're really heavily weighted with uh win percentage uh occasionally head-to-head results and in some cases, you know strength of schedule seems to be a factor in sorting through uh one loss teams or undefeated teams in some cases and in some cases not um yeah, there's there there's some curious some curious inclusions this week. I'll say at the at the tail end of some of the rankings.
1: Well, I, I know you know this stuff better than me, Greg. But e- even from a, a, a more of a layman, uh, where I where I'm coming from, it does seem like compared to prior years, that the strength of schedule part of the criteria, at least in this group seems like the, it's a little less weighted than it's been in the past. And maybe that was intentional, maybe not. Maybe it's just a you know, kind of coincidence. I mean, there's a lot of the usual suspects. I mean, when Frank and I were looking at um, you know kind of our own mock, like the, the top order didn't surprise us really, but really it's the bottom half of some of these where it's kind of like, well, where did that come from?
0: <laughs> Call it a timeout. Let's go through them uh, because we're kind of talking in parables uh, to our friends that might not have seen them yet. And uh, we're going to put them on the screen here uh, very slowly and deliberately. And uh, we'll talk through them. Uh, because some of the font gets too small for, I would say, the upper right window that we've used in the past, we will keep it in the big screen and then uh, bounce back and forth out of it. So that's why we're doing it this way. Number one, Salisbury at 7-0. SOS is five oh nine, And what we're going to look at here is their week eight and week nine versus regionally ranked opponents backward looking to last week's what we think the rankings look like and then forward looking to this week where the rankings actually landed and so when we do this salisbury ends up with a 1-0 and then a 2-0 because wisconsin oshkosh got ranked ninth i think it was out in the west region so they added a regionally ranked opponent oshkosh was not ranked after their loss a couple weeks ago so their remaining schedule, not strong. TCNJ and William Patterson coming up. I don't think we're, to, we're surprised by this, Greg. Are we uh, that Salisbury still number one here?
2: No, I think, uh, I think last week maybe we were looking at the potential for Ithaca with uh, their strength of schedule number and a potential win against Union, uh, who is a ranked team and would have been a ranked team regardless of that result. I think we were looking at Ithaca possibly being a team that could uh, go over uh, Salisbury to the number one spot this week in the first rankings. Um, But Ithaca did not win. So uh, Ithaca lost, Cortland also lost, and that sort of left Salisbury as the lone Power League uh, undefeated uh, team out there in the East region.
0: Now, there are two other undefeated teams in Division III uh, opponents in the East left after what happened last weekend. A little bit of carnage, obviously, in the rest of the East uh, occurred. I think we entered the week with six uh, undefeated teams, left it with three, uh, if memory serves. So let's see where they are. Do they jump teams like Wesley here, like Union? Did they jump anyone? Let's see what happens here as we continue to number two. Wesley is remaining at the number two slot that we had predicted last week with that strong 577 strength of schedule. Uh, two and one in one and one because Endicott, which we think was a ranked team last week, drops out of the list. A uh, little hint, hint going on there. Uh, their remaining uh, opponents versus Kane and versus CNU. That 577 is going to be dropping uh, over the next couple of weeks, Greg. I think that's pretty clear to us and probably precipitously. One of the things we want to capture yeah, here is Shane. a little bit of the forward-looking uh, scenario as to what's going to happen in a couple weeks when it, if these teams win out. Everybody wins out to the degree that's possible. What will happen to their strength of schedule? So that's why we're including the remaining schedule. It's going to drop way off, and JB, you're going to give a little uh, detail about Kane and CNU, I think.
1: Yeah, combined five and eleven uh, uh, between those two squads. I don't know how that translates from the SOS formula to how much it's going to drop it down. The one thing that could become interesting, Greg, is that uh, with Ithaca uh, having to play two games against teams with a combined twelve and four um, a record, their strength of schedule is definitely going up, and they could actually jump Wesley in the strength of schedule. Uh, we did get a question on Twitter: is like, you know, what happens there? I don't know. I mean, the fact that Wesley's starting out at number two um, is clearly has them you know, pretty high up in the board. But if that number starts to drop, and or if they don't look great in the wins against uh, Kane and, and William Patterson, I don't know. I mean, if there's only going to be one Pool C, it's gonna, it might come down to, to, uh, to Wesley and Ithaca. It may. And I think uh, today's rankings are sort
2: of good news, bad news for Wesley, I think. I think it's nice to be ranked number two and have that position as the top-ranked at-large team. But if you look at, um, you know, one, we're one day after Election Day. If you look at results still left to come in uh, for Wesley, <laughs> their strength of schedule is certainly um, at a high water mark. Um, it was also not good news for Wesley that Endicott fell out of uh, the rankings. We thought Endicott was probably a ranked team last week, um, maybe could have been this week. Uh, I know I, when I did my number crunching. Earlier this week, I had Endicott uh, in the 10 spot in the East region. So a little surprised that they weren't there, but that's bad news for Wesley because that's a ranked win for them, which is super valuable.
0: I want to bring up one thing. The NJAC has a very poor or will ultimately have a very poor opponent's opponent's winning percentage. And what that essentially boils down to is this. If your conference's non-conference games uh, record was low, Your OOWP suffers because of it, ultimately. Even if you beat your non-conference opponents, everybody else needs to contribute to it. So uh, conferences like the Liberty League and the Empire 8 that had a very good non-conference outing will do well, ultimately. Their strength of schedules will eventually go up, even if they are playing weaker opponents in their out-of-conference games. The NJAC, on the other hand, is not in that shape. Yes, Wesley played DelVal as an out-of-conference opponent, and we'll see that actually coming up. Uh, let's, let's take the mystery away here and put Del valle up as number three, but the conference's non-conference record is not going to help Wesley, and it ultimately may not help Salisbury, but I have a better feeling about Salisbury staying up at number one than I do. It's Wesley staying up at number two uh, for the reasons that we discussed earlier. Uh, valle with that uh, quadruple overtime loss against Wesley, is basically being paired up with Wesley. We, we have not seen separation yet between these two teams. If a team jumps one, they may have to jump both simultaneously because they're viewed as tied teams, I think, based on that result. A 536 strength of schedule, uh, 0-1, 1-1 because a team got added, we'll talk about in a little bit. Remaining schedule, uh, they're playing that bye team. I I, I like the chances against bye. And then I uh, don't know. Yeah, they are. And uh, versus Widener uh, coming up uh, on week 11. So Del Valley has one game left. Their strength of schedule will lock in probably near 536, uh, probably closer to 525 if I had to guess uh, when it's all said and done. But we'll see how it shakes out. The strength of schedule will change, don't forget, this week, despite them not playing a game because the teams they've already played will contribute differently to their strength of schedule this week. Wesley Delval, are they permanently paired? Do you think, Greg? As long as they win,
2: they are. I mean, man, when I did my analysis this week, I did not pair them directly. I think um, you and me both. I think, I think it's, I think it's unfair to the other teams in the region to link Wesley and Delval inextricably because they went to a four overtime game. There are you know to this point seven or eight other games that have been played there's a lot more data involved i don't know that those teams have to be linked together in eternity for because of the because of the one game um it becomes difficult to compare say western new england to wesley and delval instead of just one or the other or in this case delaware valley um, so I, I want to, I want to cut
0: out. you off. I want, I want to cut you off for one second. People are going to wonder here, Western New England fans, if they haven't seen this already, if they are next on the list because they have a pretty good strength of schedule when you get down to it. So let's see what did come up next on this list, and it's Union. A it, uh, four eighty-seven strength of schedule, one and O, one and this would indicate that either Ithaca or Hobart probably is a ranked team and probably Ithaca if you had a guess here and not Hobart ultimately with that two-loss scenario we talked about earlier. I'm also going to put on the screen yep. number five, Western New England with a 532 strength of schedule. You cannot use Solid. the Stetson game against this team, and if the committee is doing that, they should be admonished for that because you can't do it. It's an FCS team that's actually a good FCS team, Stetson. They are a 7-0 and team. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, but the Endicott result dropping off hurt them at some point here because now they're zero and zero versus regionally ranked opponents. The one and zero means that Endicott was probably ranked last week, is uh, what we're showing there. So four eighty seven yeah. is trumping five thirty two because of the regionally ranked opponent scenario. Greg, do you do you agree with it, and can it permanently permanently last like this? You know
2: I. I do agree with it. I think that unions, I, union strength of schedule suffers because they played Anna Maria and Westfield State, and in the absence of any other results or data, um, you know that strength of schedule should uh, should count against Union. But Union has gone through the Liberty League, which we've already discussed. has been a strong league. Their out-of-conference results were all very good. Uh, They've defeated Hobart. They've defeated Ithaca. I think they've validated their quality as a team with uh, their play through the Liberty League. Um, And so I I think it's okay to have Union ahead of Western New England. What I'm looking forward to is where Union goes when they add games against uh, Utica and RPI down the stretch.
0: JB, uh, I'm going to let you take uh, through the rest as I'm have a little sound issue on my end, but I know you can hear Greg still. So as we uh, go through, <laughs> uh, we're going to go up to number six at this point uh, in one moment. And that's going to be the following team, Ithaca, and also we'll put, put up number seven, Brockport. And uh, this is interesting because without Hobart in the mix, uh you could maybe justify Brockport going over Ithaca with the records and the recentness of the loss and whatnot, but in this situation, they chose to go Ithaca, then Brockport here. Guys, go ahead and talk about that.
1: Yeah, I guess, Greg, I mean, I, when, uh, how, I mean, how surprised were you to not see Hobart in, in, in this sort of, you know, what I'll say the seven space, um, you know, given yeah, I think they have the fifth highest strength of schedule in Division Three right now. Um, sh- certainly, they're you know they they lost to, to Ithaca, um, they they lost to Union, uh, but at the same time, in the past when we've seen teams with 600 plus strength of schedules, you know, and we see it in, in a couple of other regions. I think actually, if you look, um, you know, if you look down the the, uh, the north, you have you know Wash U and and your own alma mater Wabash in there. Um, you've got uh, mm-hmm. Birmingham Southern and Hardin-Simmons in the South. Uh, you got Oshkosh in the West. So there are a couple of 6-2 and two teams out there. Why do you think it was that, that Hobart, um, you know, got left off, and especially given the fact that they do have that head-to-head win over uh, what appears to be number seven Brockport? Um,
2: Hobart being left off is a bit of a head-scratcher for me this week, um, particularly given other results from last week, Endicott losing uh, in particular. Um, you know, w- we haven't quite got down to the end yet with the teams that uh, are in instead of Hobart. Um, but it is it is difficult to see Hobart with a strength of schedule that is 150 or almost 200 points higher than some other teams uh, that were included in these rankings. Uh, With a win against a ranked opponent and a couple of other results against a couple of losses against ranked opponents, I mean, Hobart's profile for being ranked is very good, if not for being an at-large invitation candidate. Um, Certainly, they present in the criteria like a team that uh, could be ranked in the top 10. As it relates to Hobart in the Ithaca-Brockport scenario, Hobart is a Uh, is a common that's a common opponent i think they both oh no ithaca beat hobart brockport lost to hobart so that order with that data makes sense that's right okay
0: So, so we're going to go uh at this point to number eight it looks like and uh it is going to be Cortland. brockport beating Cortland, obviously uh not much discussion you need to do there so let's uh, kind of look at what comes up next uh, as well. And that is, well, what is this doing here? WPI, a team that lost <laughs> last week, is sticking there at number nine. And number 10 is Wilks. But do you notice the common bond going on here at everything from six to ten? It's uh, win-loss record. Seven-and-one, 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 seven-and-one. Looks like this was done on purpose. Um, 457 strength of schedule. 437 strength of schedule is atrocious at this phase of the uh, season. And the regionally ranked opponent situation doesn't make it any better for Wilkes, especially having lost to Delaware Valley and WPI having no result. Uh, Greg, I'm going to pull up here one more thing before we uh, go into some last uh, conversation about this. This is the teams that were considered besides these teams. We believe there were five other teams that were at least in the conversation. Hobart is 6 and 2 with a 6-23 strength of schedule. Stevenson 6 and 2 with a 5-11. Endicott 6 and 2 5-23. Framingham State 6 and 2 5-86, although a uh, loss to Brockport, don't forget. MIT 5 and 2 4-83. But Hobart and Stevenson who has a uh out of region regionally ranked opponent in Bridgewater, in Hobart with uh, games against Brockport, which they won, and Union, which they uh, lost, uh, and Ithaca, which they lost. So they have three regionally ranked opponents. They've got to be sitting there saying, what in the heck is going on here? I Maybe we're not going to be in pool C consideration. We get it, but Shouldn't we be honored in some way, shape, or form with this record and the strength of schedule? What would you say to those teams, and what do you think about 9 and 10?
2: Um, those are probably the two biggest surprises in all of the rankings, not just um, not just the East region, but maybe all of the rankings. There, there's one other kind of weird one out there in the West, but um, those strengths of schedule uh, – what was it, uh, 457 and 437. In a group of teams that have uh, just one more loss than those teams, groups of uh, teams that have multiple results against strength opponents and strengths of schedule that are over 100 points stronger, ranked ahead of even two lost teams that have built a stronger foundation in the primary criteria. Win percentage is a criteria, but also, you know, the the quality of your opponents and results against other quality opponents have to matter. And those are also built into the criteria, and they just seem to have not
0: been factored in this week. JB, what are you thinking on this one?
1: You know, I think, uh, yeah, the, the WPI one, you know, if they had won against MIT, um, even if it was, a you know, an OT and they ended up 8-0, it would make a lot of sense for them to uh, to pop into this list, maybe, um, you know, below Brockport still. But the, the with the combination of the loss and some of the other criteria is just a bit of a, a head scratcher there, especially when you consider... Kind of in the in in the past, how the committee has has looked at these teams. I mean, the Wilkes thing is interesting in the sense that I mean, their only losses to Delval, but like you said, there isn't a lot of other you know kind of crossover going on there. There's certainly way more crossover with a team um, like a Hobart, and then I guess even to a certain extent with Endicott, whose two losses are to number two and number five. Um, you know, they they really gave Wesley a, a close call. But then again they um you know then they then they lost uh, to to western uh, new england so um you know it just, it's interesting especially when it comes down to when you're thinking about you know let's say that pool c does ultimately come down in the east region between ithaca and wesley the absence of endicott is a problem for wesley um and it would be, it would be kind of a shame that, the, that they could get potentially passed over i suppose uh, but at least for now, being in that number two position gives them a little bit of security. But their statistics, like the strength of schedule, is going to drop. Um, they will end up with the same uh, record potentially uh, as either Ithaca or Cortland. Um, whoever finishes that Cortica game nine and one will likely get some pretty serious consideration from the committee. But the chances of the East Region getting in two pool C's in this, uh, you know, with only five to go around. Uh, it's it's really hard to it's really hard to see. I and mean, I know, Greg, you have a bet, maybe, and you, Frank, as a top 25 voter, have a better view on some of those other C teams out there in the North and the South and the and the West. But it just seems, statistically, the likelihood of the East being the region that gets in two at-large candidates um, seems kind of low to me, but I guess we'll see.
0: Uh, a lot's got to play out uh, coming up in the uh, next few weeks, and we're going to have to look at uh, teams or conferences that have 0-1 losses or both 0-1 loss teams, uh, multiple of them uh, right now. Uh, and there may be two loss teams that do get a look, a team with an extremely strong strength of schedule and a decent regionally ranked opponent number. But right now it looks like that the committee, at least nationally, is trying to use win-loss as a primary indicator more than strength of schedule. So I think we're going to be stuck the way they're acting right now with one-loss teams, one-loss teams as the potential pool C candidates across the board until we run out of them. If we run out of them at all, do you agree? Disagree? Do you think the East has a chance for two seed or two uh, pool C teams? Where are we on that one?
2: You know, Frank, I do think that the East does have a chance for two pool C teams. Um, I think that the table is set in these East rankings for some upward movement, particularly of the Liberty League teams. Um, like I said, if Union gets to 10-0 and 0, and Wesley's criteria fall a little bit, with Endicott not being a ranked team and with their SOS coming down, I think you can see Union, if they get all the way to 10-0, and 0, climb up to number two in the rankings. And that's going to pull Ithaca up with them. Um, Ithaca, if they win the Cortica-Jug game, they're going to get a strength of schedule boost at the end as well. I know uh, who is Ithaca's game this week. RPI. RPI Who's uh, five and three? RPI is okay. So Ithaca's going to get a little bit of a strength of schedule boost as well. Um, I think there's. I think there is a decent chance that Hobart ends up in the rankings at some point, if they can complete their season undefeated, or not undefeated, but win their last two games, which will give Ithaca a ranked result. And then you're going to have a really tough decision in the East region what to do with Ithaca versus Wesley, as you, if you're that regional committee, you want to set the table to maximize your chances for multiple bids. do you go Ithaca and then Wesley and let Wesley, you know, sort of be last in first out kind of team, or do you want to do that with Ithaca? I think those, I think those profiles are going to be fairly similar. And I think that the East region is going to have a difficult decision in the end on how to rank those teams. Um, I do think that at least one of them will get in. Whoever's the first, whoever's ranked higher in the end, I think goes in. And then I think that the one that is second on that list um, is going to be right there on the bubble.
0: Guys, uh, before uh, we uh, close out here, I want to go through the regional rankings one more time uh, with the viewers and uh, go through with them all on the screen. Number one, Salisbury, decent strength of schedule, decent, very decent regionally ranked opponents record of now 2-0 and with Oshkosh. Number two, Wesley, 577 strength of schedule. They lose a regionally ranked team compared to last week. It's now 1-1. and Uh, Which is reasonably okay. Uh, It sort of justifies the strength of schedule number Uh, Remember if you have multiple regionally ranked opponents you probably have a very good strength of schedule as well Those seem to validate each other, but they shouldn't be double counted by the committee in certain ways Uh, They should be used for validation more than anything else and then actually look at who they beat inside that To determine whether or not it's meaningful in this case Wesley beat Delaware Valley the number three team in the East and uh, they lost to number one, Salisbury. So that's why they're looked at strongly. Number three, Delaware Valley with 536 and one and one record. Uh, Wilkes being the other team. So they beat number 10, lost to number two. Union, 487. They beat number six, Ithaca. Western New England, 532. No results against regionally ranked opponents now. Ithaca, 520. The loss to number four, Union. Brockport, 539. The win versus number eight, Cortland. Still don't believe how they did it. 3226 uh, in overtime on Saturday. Uh, number eight, Cortland, 504, with 0-1, a loss to number 7, Brockport. Number 9, WPI, the head scratcher of sorts, 457, 0-0. Wilks though, another head scratcher of sorts, 437, with 0-1, the loss to number 3, Delaware Valley. Greg, give you the first shot here on closing thoughts. Do you think we're going to see some adjustments despite not many games that we can pinpoint that should be really good, exciting games inside the rankings this uh, coming week? What's your view of what might change despite a lack of losses?
2: You know, I think, what, I think one thing that might change is that if you, if you look at the data sheets that the NCAA puts out, they do not have any data for ranked opponents this week which indicates to me that they didn't strongly consider data from teams against other ranked opponents. When you start to factor those results in next week, uh, in next week's rankings, then you're gonna see teams like Hobart and Endicott and possibly even Framingham get uh, some boost from having results against ranked opponents. You might see some adjustment with Wesley and Delaware Valley and Union and that cluster of teams there, uh, when they consider the whole of the criteria and not excluding the ranked opponents, the results against ranked opponents.
0: JB, your
1: thoughts? Well, the thing that I think is going to get interesting um, near the end is when we might come into some type of uh, horse trading, you can say, um, there's only two undefeated teams in the East. There's two uh, in the north there is four apparently in the south and then there's three in the west including uh one uh, not too far down the road from from uh from where greg is in southern california with with chapman uh down in orange county so you you know um we could see some possibilities you know i, I mentioned on the show a couple weeks back that you know in 2012 there was not an east region number one seeded team there was no ang- like eastern pot or or um or, or anchor, you can say. And so, you know, it makes you have to wonder about teams like um, maybe Muhlenberg from the Centennial, which is pretty close to the East region. You know, Salisbury's in Maryland. Could they be potentially paired up with, say, a Mary Harden Baylor down in the South? Um, so all these kinds of things, you know, gets, gets tricky. Ultimately, they're looking for the top eight teams. I think we, we kind of know who those uh, top eight teams, if you kind of look through uh, the regions, but how you sort of mix and match them um, Particularly, you know that the 500 mile rule is something that new D3 fans may not be familiar with but it definitely has a big imp- Impact on this especially since it looks like we're gonna have an undefeated team from California Which is gonna have to get on an airplane at some point or maybe even host the game and someone's gonna have to fly out to LA uh, for that kind of a thing so these types of things, you know get get a little tricky but to Greg's point it's you know when we of looking at different matchups and who's played who and, and I think this will shake out but this was kind of a little bit of a curveball to start things off uh, we'll see if things try to you know rotate back to what we've seen in the last couple of years or if it's just going to be kind of a little bit of a, a wild card type of situation and then um we'll all be kind of scratching our heads I guess we'll see
0: Indeed, uh, folks that are watching this live, uh, again, this will be integrated into our host chat show later on today, uh, not too much later on today, however. Uh, for those watching in host chat, we remind you that we'll be back on Friday uh, with Lightning Picks Live uh, around 11 a.m. on Friday morning. And at that point, I'll finally figure out to do my quick hits for you, Greg, so you can get those posted uh, forthwith. Uh I usually get the ping right after we go off on our live show. I think Greg watches it. Uh, he doesn't let us know that, but uh, <laughs> he watches our live picks uh, show. But uh, we will be back Friday uh, with those. And then Saturday, we are working on getting in the uh, East Region uh, Blitzer uh, again uh, for some big games in the East, the whip around. We're, we're practicing for first round of the playoffs, which we, we should be doing again this year as long as the NCAA and uh, Turner give us permission, yes, so uh, be prepared for that. Greg, maybe uh, you can uh, help us out a little bit uh, with some uh, commentary on that show as well on Saturday live, probably starting around noontime or just before noontime, Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific. For those of you that may be out there, him, get your Absolutely. coffee. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, folks, for joining us. Thank you, Greg, as always. And we will talk to you all soon.